let's, let's get together today on a text that I think is powerful. I really appreciate uh, all of you being here, family and all, for my birthday. It's really great and special. And uh, I want you to get your Bible open. Let's get to it today. If you have sermon notes, today we talk about something that's really important to me. It's the conclusion of our series, How Godly Families Can Turn Around a Distracted uh, Generation. I almost called it How Godly Families Can Turn Around an Ungodly Situation. That sometimes what happens in your life is you raise children and you were a godly person, but they didn't turn out like you planned. And the question is, what happened? And so in the series, I've been talking about that. And last week, I kind of concluded with a question because I talked about a guy named Eli whose family got really out of whack. He's a preacher. He's a guy who's a holy guy. And all of a sudden, he raised these ungodly kids who are doing these horrible things. And, um, and he knew it. He was aware of it, but he ignored it. And so look at the clip from last week. I want you to see what I said last week, and I'll come back and we'll talk more. Watch this. Every family knows who it is. They know him. They've seen him look at girls before in the family, and it's the tradition that abuse starts. This is the part of the sermon that's troubling. Because here's the question I want you to think about. Has my family been fired? Is that a possibility? Is it possible that my family has made the same kind of decisions that this family has made and we put ourselves in a place where God has said what he's about to say to this guy? You're trying to figure out all this stuff about, you know, people having difficult times. Could it be tied to something spiritual? I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. That was the original plan. You guys are going to have permanent employment, permanent pay, great job, great benefits, great life. But now, the choices you've made have changed again. Boy, this is tough stuff. This can make you frustrated. But here's the question. Can this be turned around? Here's the answer. Everybody say yes. See, I believe that everything I've said is what can happen to you. It does explain why some people have had these results. But it doesn't have to be the final chapter. See, that's the trap. The trap is to think that if your family has gotten off, if your family has gone down the wrong path, like Eli's family did, that you can't turn it around, but you can. And that's what this message is about. It's about how you can turn this around. I believe we live in a distracted uh, generation. They've lost sight of certain things. He was distracted. His children were allowed to do things that they shouldn't have been allowed to do. And they got off. And when they got off, there was nobody there to help them. And sometimes when your, life is, when your life is troubled and when you're having a challenge, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to find your way. It's hard to find your way forward. It's hard to find your way to an answer. But when you need a little help, you just need a little help, don't you? <laughs> and it turns everything around for you when you have someone to help you see that you are distracted. Now, I found another clip today. And um, I, let, me, let, me, let me show you a verse first before I read you, show you the clip because... This is just incredible. This is in uh, Judges, Joshua 24, verse 15. If you look at the text, Joshua 24, 15. Uh, Joshua makes a statement. And if you look in bold prints at the bottom of the statement, he said, as for me and my house, we will do what? Serve the Lord. Bold prints for me always means a big point. Pastors make it a big point when it's in bold print in your notes. And uh, there was a clip sent to me. And uh, this is... Uh, uh, from an event that uh, was happened several years ago. It's uh, the state of black America, and 
it's uh, one of those uh, clips that just, uh, but it, it, to me it crosses all ethnic boundaries, it really does. But it was such a profound statement that showed what distracted generations look like, uh, especially when it comes to our children. And I just, I just had to show you this, so buckle up, hold on, just, just watch it, you'll see what I mean, just watch this. I'm pleased to have the covenant, and this is the best part of our action plan, is to reclaim the minds of our children. They went into the black homes now, the powers that be, and told us that you cannot discipline your children anymore, and if you discipline your children, you are going to jail. It's this kind of thing they told us. Then they went into the public schools and took discipline out of there. So when we acted up in there, they put our boys, our black men, into something called special ed classes. As you know, those special ed classes are nothing but holding cells until they can go to the state prison. But this is what they did. And then, the one thing that they knew that if we can put them in prison, if we can have them convicted for a felony, then once they get out of prison, they cannot get a job because of that. They cannot get the job. And then if they happen to eke out and find a job, then they have to pay taxes on a job, yet they cannot vote, and I call that. I call that taxation without representation. That's what we're looking at. And if one of the things that we would learn to do, they did a grand thing when they took that discipline away from us, because when they made our parents afraid to discipline the children, then what happened? We found out that the teachers were afraid of the principals, the principals were scared of the superintendents, superintendent was scared of the school board, school board was scared of the parents, parents were scared of the children, and the children ain't scared of nobody. I just, I just had to play it for you. <laughs> that thing went through me. I'm telling you, it spoke to me in such a profound way. And um, we're going to put that up on Pastor's Favorites under videos, and you'll be able to get to rickytemple.com under Pastor's Favorites. I don't know if it's there yet. We'll make sure it's there by the end of, by, by, give me till tomorrow. And it'll be up maybe by later today, and you can click into it, and you can see uh, that on your own. It's just an, an amazing statement. A friend of mine sent it to me, and I thought, boy, talk about a distracted generation. Distracted and, 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 you know, there's, there's so many things that you, and, and, and this is not to blame anybody. This is not to, to, to this is just to say this is, this is the, the truth. The, the, the way that we feel sometimes is we wonder what in the world happened? What happened to, to the simple process of educating kids? What happened to this American dream? What happened to people? What happened to these families that have godly parents who went to church? Some of you are confused. I raised you in church. I took you to the house of God. What happened? And even some of you became distracted. You're wondering what happened to you. You can't quite figure it out. Joshua felt the same way in Joshua chapter 24. Because here he is talking to people that should know better. And listen to what he said, top of your notes again. At verse 15, it, it, he said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, you know, 
I, I can't believe after all these years I've got to make this point. I have to make this, I have to ask you this question. You have to understand, this is the guy who saw them for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the guy who was in Egypt with them in slavery. This was the guy who had witnessed all the miracles in the wilderness. This is the guy who knew it. And he said, how in the world could we be here? And, but, and so he kind of asked them, look at the kind of question he had to ask them. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, why do you have to say that to these people? If it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. We're still choosing? We're still deciding? We're still in the place where we're deciding this? Whether the gods which are your father served are the ones on the other side of the river? I mean, so we haven't even decided what God we're going to serve yet. Okay, that's hard. It's hard for parents to go, man, I thought we talked about this. I'm telling you to go to work. I'm telling you to hold on a job. I'm telling you not, I'm telling you not to steal. Pause. And, and especially for some of you single parents, you're going, help me. You already see what I'm going through and you're stealing stuff? I don't have money to get you out of jail. I don't have money. I don't have, what are you doing? And if you've got a mother and a father now, a lot of the fathers are confused. You say, well, I'm not that guy. I was here working for you. What do you mean? What? There's a point of confusion that you can have that makes you step back and go, you've got to be kidding me. Well, here's what's wrong. They're distracted. And the question is, what do you do about it? Well, there are three things Joshua did to turn around his, his, uh, his generation. And he understood, as for me and my house. Say it with me, please. Come on. As for me and my house. Please be clear about this. Learn this lesson. There's things in life you control and the things you don't. And Joshua made three important steps that I thought were profound that turned his family around. Number one, he faced the obvious without excuse. Say that with me, please. Come on. He faced the obvious without excuse. There are some things that are obvious about your kid. You come in the house, you smell weed, you think, oh, that's, that's air freshener. That's not air freshener. You used to smoke that stuff. You know what that smells like. You ain't trying to pretend you don't know what that is. You know exactly, you know exactly what that is. I love the fact that Joshua, when he engaged the generation he was in, he, was, he, said, he said what was obvious. You're raising a non-Christian kid. Your kid is not a Christian. Some of you, your kid doesn't serve God. He faced the obvious. He looked at him and said, ah, this is what I see. This is what I see. Based on what I see, this is where you are. And it's better to start where they really are than where you think they are, where you want them to be. Because some of you kids, you come to church and you're really holy. Right now, this is your holy day. Hi, Pastor Ricky. How are you? How are you? God bless you. God bless you. You know all the right terms to say. In school, what's up? Hey, girl, come here. Hey, hey, give me them digits, girl. My heart's going to fall out. You're going to jail for murder. If you don't give me that number, girl, my heart's going to I mean, this is how you are at school. Anybody here with me? You know, you're a whole different person. You, you got a whole name. You got a whole another name at school. <laughs> people, people in the street wouldn't know you in here. That's why when we used to do television, and now, you know, we don't pan the audience like we used to, but they used to have a lot of audience shots. And people used to come to church and get saved because they saw some of you in church. <laughs> I used to have people stop me and say, you know what? I'm going to come to Jesus. If I... <laughs> You know, they, they look and say, I saw him, Billy Bob, in church. He was worshiping God. And I, I, they couldn't believe it. I mean, you inspire people. Because the you out there and the you in here is totally different. They're shocked to see you try. What do you look like when you're not here? What's your language like? 
What's your attitude like? You know, I mean, I mean think, think for a second about the, the difference. It was, it was important for him, if he was going to help these, this generation, he had to say what he saw. I never thought about it this way, but in, Judge, in Joshua 24, when he gives his last speech, he's brutally honest. I don't see fruit in you guys, he says to them. You're living this way because I'm here. You're not doing what you would do, but you, and you're sneaking in doing it. The second thing he did that I thought was interesting that helped turn his generation around was not only being honest about what was obvious, number two, he made a, he made a me and my house decision. Say that with me, please, come on. A me and my house decision. See, Eli would not make those decisions. Eli would not, would not say what was obvious. Eli would not make the decision to say his two sons who were ungodly, who were having relationships all over the church with all the women. He was, he was, they, these were two ungodly sons stealing offerings. These, Eli, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we studied last week, would not confront them. Joshua wasn't like that. Joshua said, listen, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but as for me and my house. He made a decision. If you work for me, you're my sons, you work, that's not going to be allowed. There's something that's so, so incredibly important about the decision you make. And boy, it touches you when you see, you see it go right. My son just sent me a tweet on the phone, and I just thought, oh, man. He, sent me a, he posted a picture of he and I on Facebook. And um, bring, the, bring it up here. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's just so cool. I, it, I, I, before I came up here, I don't know if the camera can zip into it or not. I'm going to see. Technology, can you do me right today? Yeah, there it is. I don't know if you can see this dude or not. Can you? Let me see if we can make this big. Can you, guys, can you guys zip in on that tight, you think, or not? I'm too far away? Nah, you can't see it. It's, it's, a, it's a handsome picture. Imagine that of, of, of me and Rick. And uh, it's, really, it's really absolutely amazing. I was, so, I was so touched by it because what he said on there, he said, then he said something really nice. You know, when your kids say something really nice about you, you go, oh, boy, this is, you know, weep tears and cry here. He said, he said um, I have the greatest pops in the world. <laughs> He's smart. <laughs> and a bunch of other nice stuff. I'll stop. But it was just moving. And he got a picture of me and him. You can see it on Facebook. Me and him said by each other. It was just really great. And I just thought to myself, I thought, you know, you know, I, you, you work hard. And when it doesn't go right, you just, you just grieve. You grieve. You sit there and you grieve. When it goes right, you feel wonderful. You feel like, man, I've, 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 you know, I've, been, I've been blessed by God beyond what I can describe. To see, to see something go right. Now, our kids aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Please believe me, I've got my own stories I can tell. But I can, I can tell you this. It's, it's, a, it's a painful thing when, when you don't realize you have the power to change your world not everybody else's. Say, me and my house. Come on. Me and my house. He faced the obvious. He made a me and my house decision. I, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I know what I'm going to do, do in my house. I can't meet with your kids. I'm going to meet with my kids. I'm not going to make some big confession and go downtown and make some big speech and some, some ceremony for the com community. I'm not going to go to a PTA meeting and make a big speech. I'm going to go to my house with my children, my grandkids, my family, and fix it. If I get everybody to do that, it makes a lot of things easier for everybody. Yeah. 
I said this last week, a lot of the crime in our community is family-based. People in the families know, cousins, uncles, and friends, they know. They come and confess crimes to each other. They know stuff. It's amazing. And a lot of the times, it's because something's missing, which is the third thing I think I saw Joshua do right. He passed good decision from generation to generation. He passed good decision-making. Things are passed down through families. Joshua decided to make a stand in his family. As for me and my house, me and my generation, something's going to change. Something's gonna, we're, not, we're not following the traditional route of everybody. And because that's not happening, because there's not that family generational presence, things start falling apart. If certain people were alive in your family, certain things wouldn't happen. It was after grandmama died, it was after granddaddy died that things changed. Now I want to show you this in Judges chapter 2, verse 7. And in the book of Judges, I chose this chapter because Judges says more than Joshua in chapter 24 does. We're studying two basic chapters today, Joshua 24 and Judges chapter 2, okay? Joshua 24 says everything I would want to say to you, but I chose to go to Judges because it says a little bit more. It says something I want you to see. He describes life after Joshua, and he describes what happened in the next generation. He shows us the generation that became distracted. Now, here's the theme of the book of Judges. You ready? In the book of Judges, here's what happened. In the book of Judges, you had people who started out doing good. Then they would slip and do bad. Then they would be punished for being bad and doing something they shouldn't do. Then they would repent and say they're sorry. God would send a judge or a person to deliver them from bondage or slavery or whatever it was. Then they would do good for a while. Then they would, guess what, do bad, right? And then they would get punished. And then they would just live in a cycle. And that became the life and the cycle of their world. Some families are just like that. That's exactly, if you look at your family, you step back. That's why I told you last week's sermon was so powerful. You can go listen to it on the internet. It's amazing. The principle was simply this. Is that my family? When I look at my family, he told, he told Eli, he said, none of your family members will live to be old. Your family will struggle financially. He went through this whole list of issues in, in, just, in, in, in First Samuel chapter 2. I asked you, is that your family? Now, when I meet some of you, I meet you in the fourth quarter of your life or the third quarter of your life. You've already lived first and second quarter. You've already spent money. You've already gotten debt. You've already put yourself in a bad place. You've already been through three or four marriages, five marriages, whatever. You've already been through a lot. So when I see you, if I'm not careful, I will let you describe your life to me in a way that sounds like you were a victim. Everything that happened to you is because you were victimized. You had nothing to do with this. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't contribute to it in any way. It's all somebody else's fault. Here is a rule I live by. You ready? I always, I always tell people, do not start. You're choosing a mate. You're choosing somebody to marry. You get ready. Do not start with the testimony. Start with the results. The testimony always goes like this. Well, you know, I've always had a hard time finding somebody to love me. I've always had a hard time. You know, every, every guy I've dated has been a jerk. You know, this has been a jerk, jerk one, jerk two, jerk three. All jerks. Daddy was a jerk. All guys are a jerk. That's how they describe it. Now, if somebody who knows you was to participate in the conversation, they would say, no, let's go back to the first quarter of play. You wouldn't listen to anybody when we told you jerk one wasn't for you. You wouldn't lose. Climbing out the window and all kind of stuff, okay? So, 
So now that you're in the third quarter, you want to tell everybody the first quarter don't matter. No, you've been playing this one game all your life. And so now when I see you in the fourth quarter and you don't have any money, I think, oh, boy, what a, what a sad person, bad, bad person. I, I, I've, dealt with, you know, I've dealt with college students, you know, and I love college students. You're here. I love you. I love you. And I'll feed you after church. So don't think this is mean, okay? <laughs> we do. We have food for you. So this is, this is just, I love you. But, but if I want to know you, I've got to ask your parents. I've got, to get, I've got to get to know people who know you because you'll know me. You'll tell me things. And then some of it's true. A lot of it may be true. But if I, if I just listen to testimonies, I will always be distracted. When you analyze the full context of a person's life, when I look at my life holistically, not just at one moment in time, not just today, it helps explain why I'm here. Some of this was generational. Some of this was passed down. Have you ever, ever dated a person and gone to their home with their family, like a family reunion or something, and you said to yourself, oh, aha, <laughs> uh -huh. I see. Uh, <laughs> now I get it. They all get old. Everybody, everybody in here is spicy. This is okay. Hallelujah. And you know, it really can give you pause. That's why I tell you, you don't marry people unless you visit the family, I'm telling you. And don't just go for a few minutes, take your shoes off. <laughs> Sit down, get comfortable, eat at the table, listen, they'll tell you stuff. Once they trust you, they'll start saying stuff, you know. You know he don't work, you know. <laughs> you got a job, man. You, you better thank God he don't work, he got a job. They, and then you can tell when all of them say, when he announced, I got a new job. <laughs> It's the 10th job, this is the 10th job. Job number 10. And you know, you know you struck gold because then they get mad. All right, all right. All right, don't get, don't get, don't get aggressive. When you're going to pay my $50, you got a job. When you're going to pay my $50, see, then you know you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Your family, the family will tell you she's not just angelic. The family will tell you she, you know, her brother will say, you see that mark right there? Right cross. Better duck, son. I didn't go down fast enough. She's nice and she's pretty, but she can swing. You'll learn lessons. And what you will discover is a lot of it didn't start with one generation. And you know, you, you, you start piecing things together. You start figuring out things. And this is what Joshua teaches. He teaches and shows us a principle. Let me show you how it happened. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of who? Read it again. It's in your notes. There you go. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. What did it say? So the people served the Lord what? All the days of who? Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the good works, the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So when they saw Joshua, they were extremely excited and they were faithful and Loyal as long as he was living. As long as grandma was living, certain things were not allowed. As long as granddaddy was around, as long as your father was around, certain things those brothers of yours would have never done or said. Ever. Ever. Never thought about. Because they knew. They understood certain things. They, they were clear in their mind that this is not a person you play with like that. Because they didn't care. They had lines they drew. 
And so you have to understand that that's part of, part of what made Joshua so profound. And he passed that to the next generation. So not only did they serve the Lord Joshua in Joshua's life, they served the Lord in the next generation. In the next generation, they served the Lord because of the, the, the elders were taught by Joshua and they knew all the works, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea, the plagues in Egypt, they knew. But the problem was that generation after Joshua that had received the information from Joshua didn't pass it to the next generation. They became distracted. Somehow they lost sight of the importance of communicating all the works that God had done. This was the generation that stopped requiring their kids to go to church. There's no more Bible study. There's no more Sunday school. There's no more, okay, take church out for a minute. There's no more reading the Bible. There's no more studying. There's no more reading. There's nothing. They're, 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 they're on their own. They're someplace over here. And so Joshua was fine. Generation after Joshua was fine. The third generation was not. And what happened was they turned away from the Lord. And I want you to listen to what he said. This is important. Skip down to verse 10. I'm sorry, go to verse 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was how old? 110 years old. Skip down to verse 10. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose. After those who did not know the Lord, who did not know the Lord, another generation arose that after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done. Two problems. Number one, they didn't know God. They didn't have any personal relationship with God. Number two, they didn't know any of the works. They didn't teach them. They stopped passing down those values. Those little things that you say to people, you know, those little, little sayings that grandmamas and granddaddies would tell you. You stop saying those things. You got a television, you got an iPad, you got something else. The kids don't sit and talk. Nobody talks. Nobody talks. Everybody's in their own little world. I'm not against those things. I got all that jazz. I'm not against those technologies. I'm not against any of that. I'm just simply saying something happened in this generation. What Joshua did right was he passed it down. What the next generation did wrong was they stopped passing it. And so you ended up with people who had forgotten the works. The Bible said in verse 11, a very powerful thing, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They started serving other gods. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They became people who made an incredible decision. And Joshua 24, back to Joshua 24 now, summarizes what happened. Watch this now. And Joshua summarizes this so honestly. First of all, he says, they were not serving the Lord, verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river. He said, you guys are not serving the Lord. He, he, he did not cover it up. There's something about being able to say, you know, my kids are not serving the Lord. Let's just be honest about that. Let's start where the truth is. That's how you turn it around, by being honest. Number two, they were living between this side and the other side. I already read this to you. Decide whether you're going to serve the gods which your father served that were on the other side or the gods of the Amorites. This side or that side, guys, what are you going to do? He, he calls them out and makes an, makes an honest assessment. And then thirdly, he, I love this. He points out, you guys are quick to respond and make promises, but you're not sincere. Verse 16 says this in, in Joshua 24. So the people answered and said, far be it from us we, that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. We're not going to do that. They were quick to say that. Oh, no, oh, I wouldn't dare leave. Oh, I love God and I'm in the Lord of clothes. Oh, no. But then he goes on and says, but you're not sincere nor consistent. 
And then he makes this stunning statement in verse 19. One that is surprising to me, but it's profound. Here's what he said, verse 19. This is Joshua 24. Joshua said to the people, read it all out with me, please. Come on. You cannot serve the Lord. Pause. Say it again. You cannot serve the Lord. Now, here's, here's what I want you to hear. This can almost make you want to get into a little fight with Joshua because you can say, ah, you don't tell me I can't serve the Lord. Well, you know, because, because he, he knows the Lord. He knows God's not going to put up with you. And here's what he says. This is what he says. He said, because he's holy. He's holy. And, and you and him aren't going to get along. So you cannot be a servant of God. It won't work. Because you want to live your way, do it your way. So he, please, the word holy simply means set apart. You know, God's over here and you're over there. There are some people you know not to do certain things around because they won't, they won't put up with it. If you're going to do something illegal, you probably figured out who to do it in front of. Because if you do it in front of certain people, they're just going to, they're going to tell on you. They'll turn you in. They'll call the police right now. They're over here, one, four, 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 four. You know? So those are not the people you take with you. You're going to do something. You, you look around the church, find somebody else who's got the same spirit. And then you get together and, you know, you see. So he tells them, he says, let me tell you guys something. You cannot serve the Lord. God's not going to put him with you. He's holy. He's not going to, he's, he, you, you're over here, he's over there. And that's what holy means. It means to be separate. Secondly, he says this. He's a jealous God. Say that with me, please. Come on. He's a jealous God. I was in Dallas the other day with a friend of mine. His name is um, Randy, um, Robert Morris. Robert was uh, teaching, pastors over Gateway. And I was in this, uh, every couple, three times a year, I go to a conference and sit and listen and learn, you know. And so I was with Dr. Tony Evans, and they had this thing going. And one of the guest speakers was my friend Robert. Robert was speaking, and he was, he, he was talking about tithing. And, uh, and, he, and he said something profound. He said, you know, the reason that God wants you to tithe and honor him first with your resources and your money is because he, he won't be second. He's God. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be second. So he says, the first check you give, you know, you honor God with the first fruit of your increase, the first thing. So the first bill he pays when he gets paid is he honors God. And so he said, I get paid on the 15th and the 30th, and then, you know, when I get paid, the first thing I do is say, hey, God, this is yours. So, you know, I get $10, I give God one, he blesses the nine. God can't be second. He refuses to be second in your life. <coughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. He's just not going to be behind your boyfriend. He's not going to be. He's not going to take second fiddle. Cain learned that the hard way. I'm not, I'm not receiving an offering that you just kind of... And I, and I never thought about this. If you read the story of Cain and Abel, it's really powerful. Cain, Cain brought the offering on a day when he decided to. He said, in a process of time... Whenever he got around to it, he brought God an offering. And then he brought God whatever he wanted to. He didn't even bring what he was supposed to bring, a blood offering. And some of us are like that. You know, it's like, well, God, you ought to be glad I came to church today. You ever heard this comment? It's so cool. Not cool. It's interesting. People say, well, I was going to give. But I talked too long about money, so I'm not giving anything. You just know God's really nervous. Your $5 is not going to make it in the offering. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, or whatever it is, your $50, make it $100, doesn't matter. At some point, you need to pause. And this is what he said that really touched me. God's not, God not interested in being second, third, and fourth in your life. He says, you cannot. This is what he starts with. He says, look, you cannot serve the Lord. Because number one, God's not going to be second. Number, God's holy. And then thirdly, he says, he will not forgive you your transgressions and your, nor your sins. Here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the street way. He won't put up with your junk. There are people like that, you know, they just won't, <laughs> they won't put up with that. 
people might, but not those people. And you kind of figure them out. You know, there's just some people who just have this, they have no tolerance for certain behaviors. And they'll surprise you. I don't know if I should tell the story now, but it's a true story. It's a guy who's in middle school. Don't do this, kids. Do not do this. This is not an example of what you should do, but it's an example of how people are different. And you run into different people. If you live long enough, you run into people who are different. And that's what Josh was saying. I've lived with God. I've worked with God for years, guys. I've seen, him, I've seen people die. I've seen, he said, listen, don't, he's not going to be second. He's not going to be tolerated. There was a guy in, our, in middle school. He was, he just, I told this before, he would, he would just torture everybody. He would, just, he would just pick on people, pick on people. And, and I remember on the bus, I remember one time he picked on this girl, and she, he, he, he made her so mad she tried to kick him, and she kicked and fell down. It was horrible. In the middle of the schoolyard, he was, was a terror. He was an absolute terror. And I remember this guy's name was Jerome. I remember his name. It was Jerome. Jerome was about this tall. He was not big. He was not a tall guy. And Jerome walked up to him and said, I heard you're bad. I heard you're an awesome guy. I heard you can fight really good. He said, is that true? That's what he tells me. He walks up and says, I heard you can fight. And so what Jerome did was Jerome, Jerome, Jerome just spun and kicked him, knocked him down. Don't look too bad today. And again, it was over. He stopped terrorizing people. Was that a good thing? No, he should have told the principal, I know that, okay? That's what he should have done. But he ran into somebody who was not like him. You live long enough, you bad enough. I'm telling you, you will run into somebody. You will run into somebody. You will run into somebody who says, I'm not afraid to be separate from you. I am not afraid. And that's what Joshua tells them. He says, listen, do not, do not think you can continue to be this way with God. Do not think that you can continue to ignore him. Please be clear. I'm telling you, you cannot serve me like that. You can sing gospel songs, you can preach, you can pray, you can do whatever you want, but be clear, you and I don't have a relationship. You ran into somebody, that guy did, he ran into somebody, and here's what Joshua told them, you run into the right God. He's not Baal, he's not Ashtaroth, he's not these other gods, he's the real God, and he won't tolerate that from us. I live with that awareness. I don't live the way I live, and I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you, I'm committed to this idea that he won't be second in my life. He won't allow it. And if I continue to live a certain way, I can't be forgiven because I'm not sincere. And if I forsake the Lord and serve other gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he's done good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Now, that's all not fun. I get it. But please be clear. Number five, he faced the obvious. He said, even after you tell me this, verse 23, Put away the foreign gods which are among you then. If you're telling me the truth, then change. Look, at you got false gods all around you. You're telling me one thing, but your life says something totally different. Now, this is what this way you get in the sermon. You go, oh, God, Pastor Rick, okay, is this a hell and fire brimstone message? You're not making me feel so bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to say, let's be honest. Let's, let's not play games. I'm just be, let's be honest. Don't you wish people would just tell you the truth? I challenge myself with this all the time. Temple, don't lie. Temple, tell the truth. You didn't mean that because you didn't do it. You didn't mean that. You're not sincere about that. You're not. Look at what you're doing. Look at you. Okay, you, I'm, praying, I'm, I'm, I'm praying over food I know is going to kill me. Okay, I'm praying. Father, bless this in Jesus' name. <laughs> Doctor told me if I eat this, <laughs> I'm going to have high blood pressure and die. But, oh, God, bless and sanctify it. Oh, come on, Temple, be real. Let's have an honest moment. Look at my spending habits. Come on, let's be real. I told you I like nice suits. I like, okay, be real. I pray before I go shopping. I do, for a reason. <laughs> I, no, I literally pray, because I know me. Do I care? Man, are you kidding me? Get off five of those suits. Ties, too. 
Shirts, go with it. Shoes. Lose your mind. You go out there and go, oh, God, help me, Jesus. Shouldn't have done it. Can we say amen? amen? You have to tell yourself, I'm out of control. My temper, look at my temperament. Look at my temperament. Look at my temperament. I am losing my, why am I grumpy? What's obvious about you? What's obviously out of control about you, your children, your family, your life? Joshua calls them on it and says, you cannot serve God like this. You're not being honest. And it's not until somebody forces you to see it. You know when some people see it? When somebody says, please rise. You're hereby sentenced to the state prison for a term of five years for assault with a deadly weapon. You can't just hit people because you're mad. You can't just go shoot people. Right? Police officers, right? You can't just go, you bam, you can't just do that. It's not until I, I see them. I go to prisons. I'm on this prison tour. I'm telling you, it's amazing. I'm standing there looking at people for 20 years. I, I see people. That, guy stood up the other day. He says, hey, Pastor Rick. And doing the Q&A session. Now, it's an hour, and I'm an hour and a half, two hours with them. It's really great. I'm standing there. I preach, right? I teach on choices. That's what I'm doing for the, for the Department of Prisons. I'm going around talking about choices. And um, they've asked me to do this. I'm really honored to do it for them. And, and, and it's not really it's a sermon, but it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's not a come to Jesus sermon. It's a make a better choice sermon. And, and then there's a 30, 45 minute Q&A session. And one of the guys stood up and says, hey, Pastor Ricky, uh, you, you talked to me when I was younger. I saw you. I used to come to your church. Another one asked, hey, Pastor Ricky. I'm going, hey. Hope I don't see some of you later on. I'm going, hey. <laughs> no, this is the truth. This is the truth. I was touched. I was touched. I was so moved. I mean, this is a, it's a room jammed full of men. I'm going back there in a few, in a few weeks, and it's going to be twice. You told me twice as many guys are going to come out to hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing like four prisons in one week. Two women. I'm going to women prison and men prisons. I have two, I have four lined up for June. I do four prisons in a week. And it's the saddest thing in the world to sit there and watch people who would not admit what was obvious, whose parents wouldn't admit what was obvious. Here's what they say. Listen to me, listen, look here. If you don't finish high school, listen to me. You drop out of school, there is, your chances of going to prison go up, skyrocket, 60, 70% chance. It's amazing. Every 70% or so of those people in prison did not finish high school. They dropped out in ninth grade. Don't drop out. Don't drop out. Your chances skyrocket. I mean, come on. Pause for just a minute. What's obvious? What are you ignoring that's obvious? You're working hard all day. Here's a big one. You ready? So what? Your kids don't know you, and you don't know them. You don't know their friends. You know what would be better? Move into a one-bedroom. Somebody say, all right, now, hey, hey, hey. Listen to me. You're going to live in one anyway. You know, a cell is the one-bedroom. You won't even be able to watch the NBA Finals. You won't be able to go to the refrigerator and get what you want when you want it. 
You won't be able to get an iPad when you want it. You won't be able to call people when you want it. You won't be able to do anything you want. You want a lot of things, a lot of things you won't be able to do that you do now, that you take for granted. It's obvious to you. Grandparents see it when the kids are little and you, you laugh and cussing and, and disrespect. You laugh, you think it's ha, 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 ha. All right, I'm going to step out. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. And you, you love me? I'm going to say two things. Don't say, how many things am I going to say? So don't jump on me on the first one. How many things am I going to say? Jump on. I got police officers in this church. I'm not going to have them stand up, but they risk their lives every day. Their families, their families, think about them. Their children go to this church. We have a number of them that work here for me. And they come here and you see them. And they're here for a reason. They're here for people who don't get it. I believe in security. I don't believe in being persecuted unnecessarily. Say man, if you're with me, I mean this. I, you know, I ain't playing. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. They deserve to go on their job and do their job and come home to their families. How many things am I going to say? Two. I'm on my first one. They do not, they, they deserve, I was driving down the street about several years ago, and there was some lights down here on the end of the street, and I was nosy. I said, oh, Diane, look, there's some lights. I wonder what the lights are. So I drove down there to see the lights. Now, I had no business going down there. I had no reason to go down the street, but I wanted to see the lights. So I drove down there to the lights, and it was the police stop. And they had the lights flashing. And I didn't see it little like police lights. But when I saw it, I turned around. <laughs> I said, I don't need to go over there. <laughs> they don't need me. <laughs> So I turned, I turned, and they saw me. And so they began to speak to me in police language. Stop. And they had the dog, the drug dog, and the drug dog was ruff, 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 So when the drug dog spoke to me and the police spoke to me, I stopped my car and I said, yes, sir. And I got out of my car. Are you tracking with me? I got out of my car and they said, well, we're doing a drug search, Pastor Ricky. They recognized me. And of course, I know, because they went and told all their friends. You know, Pastor Rick turned around the other day, weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't turn around, around. I kind of turned. I started to turn, you understand? And they called me. And I said, yes, sir. And they laughed when they saw me. I said, I just saw the lights. I just thought it was light show. I didn't know. <laughs> Police light show. So I, <laughs> right, down the, right down the street from the church, block away. So they looked at my license and laughed and went away. And then, like I said, told their friends later, they all laughed at me. It was funny. Okay, now see, that's how I was supposed to act. What you stopping me for? I'm saying the second thing now. I'm on number two. Well, I'm Pastor Rick. <coughs> now, see, I, now, now I got an attitude. The man's doing his job. I don't need to have an attitude. Even if I don't, I don't care what I'm supposed to. Listen, just stop. Yes, sir, give the man your license. That's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to throw in a third thing. 
You ready? This is free. <laughs> now, now, now this, is, this is my story. It's what happened to me. I was, I was about, I was a teenager. I went to my girlfriend's house. I was in Los Angeles. I was on Central Boulevard. I went to cross the street to go home. Some officers saw me, pulled up, pulled their weapons, aimed it at me. I said, oh, hallelujah. I, didn't say that. <laughs> I stopped. They said, I put my hands up. I guess what I was supposed to do. I saw a lot of TV. They, 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 I put my, they said, put your hands. I put my hand on the car. I'm a teenager. I was about, oh, 16. And uh, no, I was a little younger than that. I was younger than that. I was about 13. Put my hands on the car. They never said, what's your name? They never said what, they, what I did. They never said anything. They put me in the back of the car. And I'm sitting in the back of the car. Give me that chair, would you please? Give me that chair, I'm going to show you. Give me the chair, I'm going to show you. This is true. You know I ain't lying. I'm telling the truth. Pastor Rick, my story. I, I was sitting in the back of the car like this. And I, they didn't say a word. And they drove off. I said, okay. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I, said, I said, sir, sir, uh, what, what did I do? I kid you not. True story. He looked back. He had a big club in his hand. He said, what are you doing out here, son? I said, sir, I was going to my girlfriend's house. I just came from my girlfriend's house. I just was. He said, really? He said, uh, where your girlfriend live? I said, sir, if you turn down this street right here, and you go right down here, sir, you can see her house. And he shined the light on the house. And he drove me around to another car where the police officer had somebody else. And they asked this question, is this him? Stole a car. And that person, thank God, said no. And they kept hitting that little bitty club and said, you know, we're your friends. I said, I feel the love right now. I feel it. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel lots of love right this second. They let me loose, told me we're your friends, and they let me go, and I ran. I ain't never been back on Central Boulevard again. I ain't never been back over there again. Every office in here know that wasn't the right way to handle that. Here's the deal. But it wouldn't have been right for me to say, what y'all put me in the car for? I ain't going to go to jail. Now see, 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 see. That's the wrong way. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's the wrong way. The officers have a right to go home. But so do you. There's two sides to the story. Joshua said, I want to make a covenant. I want to make a covenant to do what's right. And Joshua said, I want to build, if you read the rest of the notes, he said, I want to build a raw stone, a monument that will remind us of what to do right. 
And every time you see this stone, it's going to remind you of what to do and what not to do. All of us have a story. All of us have had a journey. All of us. All of us. And we choose how we're going to respond to it. We choose what we're going to do this right. We choose. I've made a decision as for me and my house. Here's how I will respond when it's fair or unfair. Here's what I would choose to do. I pray you'd leave here today and say, I'm choosing to turn this around. I'm choosing to communicate. And I did that with my children. Let me show you how to respond. Let me show you exactly what you say and what you don't say. Let me show you how to react when things aren't fair. Let me show you how to, how to serve God. Let me show you how to love your wife. Let me show you how to manage your money. Let me show you how to live your life. Let me show you how to think. I pray that you would, you would stop today. Look at your family and say what's obvious. And when you see what's obviously wrong, I pray that you begin to deal with it. And I pray that you say to yourself, we're going to build a monument. I love this. I want to read it because I want to make sure you don't forget this statement. It's so powerful. Joshua said this at the end of the notes. Look what he said. He said, and Joshua said in verse 27, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law. I'm sorry, go back to verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made, made them a statute and an ordinance. Verse, two, and verse 26, then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, and he took a large stone and he set it up there and under the oak, which is by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, the stone shall be a witness to us. It's going to remind us. This is, what, this is how we're going to live as a family. Get yourself a stone. This is how we live. Write it on a piece of paper, mount it up in your house. This, this is our family covenant. This is how we will manage our life. We will not live like those people. We will not be from here and there. We will find the balance in our life, and we're going to live God's way. And God, as for me and my what? House. We will do what? Serve the Lord. Give God a big hand clap. Amen. Father, today we leave this place with a commitment to do what's right. We leave this place with a commitment to hear. We leave this place with an open mind and an open heart. Some of the stories I told today were graphic, and some of the stories could paint a lot of different images, but at the end of the day, whatever images they paint, the bottom line is we need to remember what you said. We need to learn from these experiences and pass them down from generation to generation. We need to show people how to live. We need to show people how to embrace. We need to show people how to, how to work. I pray in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would take this and stir people to change their life direction. Today is my birthday, but today let this be somebody's spiritual birthday. Let it be a day when they say, God, I really, really, really need you. God, I really, really, really need you. I need this to be not just Pastor Rick's natural birthday, but my spiritual day of beginning with God. You might have been be a nice person. You may have done a lot of right things. You may, you may be a great parent, but you have not been in a relationship with God. Not when you look at the details of your life. And so today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to join me and not just have a natural birthday, but have a spiritual birthday, 